1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 94 Feet Report NBA podcast. I am your host, as usual, Eric Spropolis. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA, uh, new Twitter handle there, just changed in the past month. In case you haven't uh, noticed it by now, um, the show is back. We are now with a different structure. Um, if you remember, we did we briefly did a couple of episodes back in January and February with a six segment structure covering the 94 feet of the court. Um, you know the baseline, full court press, three points half court heave things like that we're going to get back to that structure because we want to change up the show have some more fun have some you know spontaneity on the show and also the bigger news i guess i should say is we have a co-host for the first time moving forward corbin ford um, you might follow him on twitter at corbin ford nba is now the co-host corbin um, just like to welcome you as the co-host of the 94 feet report nba podcast wanted to see if you had anything to say before we get into tonight's episode
0: Eric, I just want to say thank you for having me, being a part of this amazing podcast. I'm excited and really looking forward to going through this, this amazing NBA season. This has been something I've, I've longed for for a long time, like your podcast, big fan, and to even be here right now as the co-host is, is really exciting, and I'm looking forward to a fun season.
1: Absolutely. I think it's the perfect season to to join the show, get a co-host. We're going to have probably one of, of, if not the most exciting NBA regular seasons this year. And it's already gotten started off with a bang, um, some negative aspects, some positive aspects. But let's dive right into it.
0: And now it's time for the baseline
1: decided after talking that we should do a a baseline question each episode. Um, So we'll probably take turns preparing a question for the other and just talk about it. So my baseline question for today's episode, uh, and by the way, for listeners, we are recording on October 22nd, the Sunday night, and this will be up October 23rd during the morning. Um, So the current game going on while we're recording is Lakers-Pelicans, but that's not that significant. Um, So the baseline question. For this week, my question to you, Corbin, and we can both talk about it and give our answers afterwards is, will Giannis Ananokounmpo, the Greek freak, will he finish in the top three of MVP voting this season? And that's the main question. There's a kind of a sub question of can he keep his current play up? Because this season so far, I know it's only three games, but in these past three games, 38.3 points, 9.7 rebounds, 5 assists, 2.7 steals all per game with shooting 67.2% from the field. So can Giannis keep this level of play or somewhat close to this level of play up for the season? And will he finish in the top three of MVP voting this season?
0: I I think yes to both. I think that Mm -hmm. the way he's playing right now, teams haven't found a way to solve the puzzle that is Giannis. We all know that his perimeter shooting is iffy. He's the basket, and just the strength he's gained this season, forcing past sometimes double, even triple teams to get to the rim. It's 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 pretty amazing to see, and he just won't be denied. With such long strides, getting to the basket in in one two steps, twenty five feet from the rim, it, it's it's really crazy to see. So, personally, I, I don't I don't think that. He will be stopped. I think these numbers, as he said, he's just getting started. I am on the honest train. I believe him. And as far as the top three in MVP voting, I think this year more than any year is the best one to get this type of play from him. Last year, he would have been yet another, I would say, strong point with Kawhi and Russell and James Harden. But this season alone, especially in what seems to be a pretty weak field, and I'm saying that lightly, Mm-hmm. I definitely think he can make some some major ground in this MVP race before it even starts. Really,
1: yeah, and that's the thing. This is the year kind of to strike because, uh, and I'm actually this is one of my three points in a later segment is a more in depth kind of uh, discussion of the MVP voting and field this season, in particular Giannis's case. Um, but yeah, this is this is as you mentioned, this is the year for him to strike. I mean, you know. The question, the real question with Giannis and his MVP candidacy is, is how many wins will he need? And that's an interesting question because in previous years, up until last year, you would have said comfortably that, you know, the player's team needed to win at least 50 games. But then Westbrook wins MVP with the Thunder winning 47 games. Now Westbrook averaged a triple-double. Giannis will probably not average triple-double. He'll probably be pretty short on the assists, um... But he can still put up mind-boggling numbers that aren't triple-doubles and the Bucks can be in a similar kind of win range. So that kind of poses another question of, was last year, you know, did Russ win only because of the triple-doubles? Because if Giannis' team wins 46, 47 games and he puts up like incredible numbers that don't have a triple-double but doesn't win, it'll be a very interesting kind of question to ask. Um, what's your take on how many wins do you think the Bucks need for Giannis to potentially win
0: the MVP award? See, I was actually on the same line of thought as you were. I looked up the Thunder. I couldn't quite remember their record last year, and I saw it was 47. And so I'm thinking between with the the plays he's making, almost, I don't want to say game winners, but just clutch games and just the sheer amount of numbers that he puts up, he may not have a Russell Westbrook stat line for the season as he did. I mean, obviously not going to average triple-double, at least in my opinion, and yours as well. But if he gets at least, I would say, somewhere between 44 and 47 wins, I think I think that gives him a reasonable case, more than a reasonable case to win MVP. If he's even averaging anything close to these numbers with that, I definitely think that puts him in the conversation, especially since now there seems to be a shift in what makes an MVP. Is it just wins? Is it statistical output? What is it that constitutes the most valuable player, either to the team or the team's success? And I think if you put somewhere between 40 ish wins, 44 ish wins, and just a monster stat line, I think he can get there. I really do.
1: Yeah. And and the other thing is, as we both said, that this is the season for him to strike because, the, the, as you said, you kind of joked, it's, it's like a weak field, but obviously it's never a weak field if the guys are competing mm-hmm. for MVP. But, you know, Kawhi yeah. is banged up. And once Kawhi comes back, and, you know, we saw, I don't know if you saw that video on Twitter of him, you know, struggling to get up the stairs to go into the airplane. That made it seem like he's like a couple of weeks back. And then, of course, you know, Popovich will rest him regularly. So, you know, Kawhi could, you know, could only play maybe 65 games this year, which hurts his candidacy. And we'll see how good the Spurs are with or without him. Um, You know, LeBron's always on cruise control. And, you know, that really does hurt him in the MVP race. We have Westbrook now with two star teammates. His numbers are dropping. And we have to see how how good the Thunder will be, if they disappoint, if they are better than expected. But most likely Westbrook with two stars alongside of him won't win MVP. Harden is it I think Harden Has has quietly become A dark horse And again I'm going to Talk about this a little bit Later in three points But Harden could become A dark horse If Chris Paul You know continues To miss time And the Rockets You know exceed expectations Win 55 plus games And Paul happens to miss Like 25 or 30 of those Which is a, a very good possibility Um so, you know, the other candidate, and you know, Steph Curry and Kevin Durant like to cancel – people like to say that they cancel each other out being on the same team, which I happen to believe yeah. as well. So, you know, Giannis could somehow win the MVP if the Bucks win like 45 games as long as he's putting up, you know, crazy numbers. Not not like these, you know, these past three games kind of numbers, but 30, yeah. 30 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists – two and a half steals, one block, 50% from the field, like those kind of numbers, he would have to Mm -hmm. continue to put up if they only win 45 games. If they somehow surprise, um, maybe they make a move and get better and they somehow jump into like 47, 48 wins. Maybe his numbers don't have to be that crazy with, you know, this field of MVP candidates. I wouldn't say struggling, but each having significant weaknesses to their candidacy of being MVP. So I think it's, I think I think it's very, very, very likely. Like I would probably I would comfortably probably place a bet on him being in the top three of MVP voting, but I'll just have to see how, you know, the Bucks progress as a as a team overall to kind of decide if he could actually have a real, real shot at winning this year. But I think he's definitely finishing the top three.
0: I I'm probably with that. I don't see anyone else that stands in the way of that.
1: All right. Let's move on to um, the next segment. We're going to do the full core press again. Now, this segment, uh, for those who didn't listen previously in back in January or February, um, this segment is a full core press, kind of a, a segment dedicated to one specific topic or story or trend or whatever. Um, unlike the other segments that we have that have multiple points or topics, and then this is the full core press, and it's kind of a, a focus on one specific topic. Um,
0: Get ready, because it's time for the full court press.
1: Alright, the full court press. Um, for the full court press this week, I thought we would talk about most impressive teams and most disappointing teams because we've only seen, you know, most teams have only played about three games. It's only been about a week of the season. So, you know, it's kind of hard to really say who's been really impressive and really disappointing, but there are still, even in a couple of games, there are still some clearly impressive teams and clearly disappointing teams as we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> let's I, let's start off with some impressive teams that we both think are impressive. I think the Rockets are very impressive now. They have really only had one good win, which is at Golden State, but that's possible. Possibly the best win you could have in a season in Golden State. Um, Chris Paul did not play in the final five minutes and the Rockets still executed fairly well in clutch time. I, mean, I think that the additions of, of PJ Tucker and Luke Mbamute were still underrated heading into that game because we saw them create so much havoc switching the pick and roll. You know, Unlike last season when the Rockets really only had Trevor Ariza on the wing, now the Rockets can play... Tucker, Mbah, Mute, and Ariza at the same time if they want to go small, or you know at least two of them. So when they switch on a pick and roll, you 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 have you know PJ Tucker running at you instead of a guy like Ryan Anderson or Clint Capello or Harden oh. or Gordon. So that makes a huge difference, and they were c- crucial down the stretch defensively in, in getting that win at Golden State. The Rockets followed up the next night against taking care of the business against the, the Kings in Sacramento in the Sacramento's home opener. That's I think, is a solid win on the second night of a back-to-back without Chris Paul. And then they just completely dominated the Mavericks um, Saturday night without Chris Paul again. And it looks like Chris Paul will be out in at least two to two to four weeks, they said. So it looks like the Rockets will be somewhat shorthanded in the backcourt. And if they continue to win games, it's really continuing to be impressive to me. So I have the Rockets as, as one of my most impressive teams. Um, who's You can talk about the Rockets for a little bit, or you can give me your next team in terms of impressive teams of the week.
0: I was actually thinking of the Rockets as well, just because, as you said, their their small unit is just intriguing on an offensive on an offensive basis, but also defensively with the switchability you don't have, like you said, slower or so. You actually have long defensive athletes who can smother you on that. So I was definitely in agreement with the Rockets. I had the Grizzlies. I thought mm-hmm. yeah. they've been surprising. I. I When coming into the season, I thought they would definitely be struggling for the bottom seating in the playoffs and, you know, still too early to tell, but they have changed their entire offensive sets, it appears. It really looks as if Coach Fisdale has really left his mark even more so this season than last season on the Grizzlies and the fact that they are going off the break faster than before. They're hoisting up threes at a, at a crazier rate than they were last year. And they've really focused on the Mike Conley, Marcus two-man game as the, the fulcrum of their offense in a way that they didn't even have it last year where they had to give the obligatory pass down low to Zach Randolph or let other people have touches on the perimeter that really weren't capable or able to have that. And this win they had against the Warriors really stuck out to me Because I wasn't even able to catch the whole game. I looked back on the condensed version on NBA League Pass. And it was just amazing how quickly they were going from defense to offense. Long runouts. I just remember Wayne Selden. Not not Wayne Selden. James Ennis. That's what it was. James Ennis (laughs) off the break. Just coming up and finishing, my mistake. Over the top of defenses. And just all... All over the place. It, it was definitely interesting to me to see that. And with the start they have now, I mean, 2-0 and coming off of being the Pelicans, who I thought were struggling and, and are, but still a valid win. And then coming in being the Warriors, I, I think that they're a team that is going to surprise a couple people going into the better part of the season.
1: Yeah, you know, that a lot of people picked them to, make the playoff, to miss the playoffs, and I have to admit that I did myself. And, of course, it is only two games, so they could still struggle later in the season. But these are two good oh. wins against the Pelicans and the Warriors. And, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. The Grizzlies are not that kind of grit and grind. Yes, they're still good defensively, but they're a little bit more fun to watch, more fast-paced, entertaining in transition. Um, you know, Gasol and Conley yeah. are always a joy to watch. They have great chemistry together and both can kind of take over games. Uh, hopefully they can continue to get more out of Chandler Parsons as the season progresses and he gets even more healthier and, and more, more comfortable um guys like Tyreek Evans and James Ennis off the bench you know even guys like Mario Chalmers are contributing um they even they lost Jermichael Green in their first game he's gonna be out a couple of weeks and they fill in with the Jarrell Martin who, who looks like an entertaining um player especially in transition so they're fun to watch now they're still kind of they still have a tight enough defense to win. They're a little bit more entertaining offensively, a little bit more shooting and, and kind of creation, especially with a guy like Tyreek Evans coming off the bench. Um, so we'll have to see how they continue to follow up these, these good two first wins and continue on. Uh, but I have to agree, I think they're another impressive team of the week. And, you know, my third... Actually, all four of my impressive teams are off on the West, but um, my third uh, impressive team of the week are the Utah Jazz. Uh, I think that their first game of the season was a really, really good comeback win against Denver. Um, It was at home. Denver was up by, I think... a 13 heading into, you know, with like a minute or two left in the third quarter. And then all of a sudden the jazz just stopped the game and said, you know what? You're not going to score on us for about 10 minutes because we are the Utah jazz. We have one of the best, if not the best defenses in the league. They basically went on a 20 to two run, I think to open the fourth quarter and just, ended up winning by 10 over Denver I mean I watched that fourth quarter of that game and the Nuggets who are who had the number one offense in the league for about four months last season and are expected to have another top five offense this season they could not score at all I mean they were shell-shocked with this Jazz defense locking them up Um, and then the Jazz kind of followed it up with a great win on the second night of a back-to-back against the Oklahoma City Thunder on Saturday so they lost in uh, in Minnesota on Friday night and they were close to the end they lost by a couple points and then they go into uh, Oklahoma City Actually, sorry, it was in Utah, uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, and they really clamped down on the Thunder as well and hold on late in the fourth quarter for that win. So I think those were two impressive victories against two West playoff teams, and the Jazz are showing that, again, they're going to use their defense to win games, and they'll be damned if they have to score only 80 points to win, and they're going to do it. So I think the Jazz are my third and most impressive team of the week.
0: All right, definitely with that. I actually have the Spurs as my second team. Mm Mm-hmm. Just coming off of the win, 87-77 to the Bulls. And, I mean, yes, it is the Bulls, and it was a rather slower game. Not the Spurs' best game. You kind of expect them to come out on top. But I'm really liking the play I'm seeing first from LaMarcus Aldridge. He's been much maligned, and for a good reason, I think, coming off his past playoff performances and the fact that he was talking about, you know, wanting to get a bigger part of the offense and and really getting into a rhythm. You know, kind of stark contrast to what you think of when you think of the Spurs' offense, free-flowing Everyone touching the ball, multiple passes. And Aldridge said he had a heart-to-heart over the offseason with Coach Pop. Really laid down his own concerns. You know, Popovich came with what he felt he needed to do. And since then, Lamarck has, has just been playing great. Just this past game against the Bulls, he had 28 points, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. He's getting his points, obviously hitting the glass, and then also going with the assist, which I thought was a bigger part of his Bigger part of his game now than it was before. He hasn't had a problem with passing the ball out from a double team or from the inside, but now he his court awareness is there. He's looking to make the pass. And I think that's a big improvement. And that's coming off of the game beforehand where he had twenty five points, ten rebounds, and four assists against the Minnesota Timberwolves. And another player I've also been look keeping my eye on for the Spurs, who I am in love with, is DeJounte Murray. Mm-hmm. I I think young, lengthy athletic wing that is a point guard but has the capabilities to go he's been playing well I think he's one of the younger players that the Spurs haven't had that they can take this he just turned 21 full of potential and just give him to Popovich and let him mold him and I've been excited to see what he's been doing under Popovich's experience and teaching and also looking at the Spurs now and again it's only two games but so far, clamping, they have the best opponent points per game at 88 points a game. And mind you, it's, it's two games, but the fact that they're already keeping their defensive traits that they've had from the season before and really just working without a Tony Parker, without a Kawhi Leonard, and really making players who are more one-dimensional, Rudy Gay, or, or not used to extending their role at Danny Green and making them the serviceable players within the system, as they always do, I'm just impressed by them.
1: Yeah, and and it's just it's just the Spurs being the Spurs. I mean, they're gonna turn <laughs> yes. they're gonna turn Murray into a, a above average starter. Just when people are starting to criticize Aldridge, they do the reverse and they give him a contract extension. Then he rewards them by going out and putting up basically twenty five and ten so far every night. And they're gonna mm-hmm. need him as Kawhi continues to be out. Um, you know, and turning Rudy Gay into I think a dark horse for six man of the year. Um, yeah. Is, is another thing underrated for the Spurs I mean most people didn't think Gay was going to be fully healthy by now but he is and the Spurs are using him well and buying into the system it's just the Spurs being the Spurs and they're going to win 55 plus games again this year even when everyone <laughs> thinks that Houston will be better than them OKC will be better than them he, some people think the Timberwolves can be really close if not just as good as the Spurs but it's just the Spurs being Spurs they're always impressive to me and- We'll see if they can continue it up over the course of the entire season as some of their older guys kind of get tired. We'll see. But knowing then, they rest so well and they have, you know, young guys and and nobodies basically like Jonathan Simmons coming off the street and, and contributing and putting up 10 points a game. So we'll see how the Spurs continue on. And the last team I want to mention for most impressive team is really a quick mention for the Clippers because they've looked really good but they've been destroying pretty bad teams. Um and the thing is, you know, Milos Teodosic just went down with an injury today. He's out indefinitely. We've that's the thing with these Clippers. I mean, if they can stay healthy, I think they're comfortably going to make the playoffs, but you don't want to you don't want to place a bet on them staying healthy. I mean, Blake Griffin has looked good. He's hitting three-pointers now. I think he hit three-pointer three three-pointers three in the first two games both, so six, I think, total. Um yeah. He's looking athletic. He's looking into it. we got a little bit of point blank. DeAndre Jordan's controlling the glass. Patrick Beverly is pestering uh, opposing guards, as he always does. Gallinari's providing some floor spacing. They've got enough bench guys now. Lou Williams, Austin Rivers, Wesley Johnson or Sam Decker, Montrezl Hale, Willie Weed. So the Clippers have looked good, but I don't want to talk about them too much because they have been, you know taking it easy. One of their wins was against the Suns, and and that should not count as we're going to talk about in just a moment. Uh, but that's the last team I want to mention for my most impressive teams. Do you have another one you wanted to talk about?
0: I actually do have one more. Um, the Brooklyn Nets. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed just in general. We're all thinking them to be a bottom a bottom feeder in the East, in the NBA in general. And I've been impressed with their offense especially. I mean, their defense is nothing really to take seriously because they have been involved in several slugfests, putting it lightly, but <laughs> offensively, they, they've they been running up right now, again, not taking statistics very much into account here, but number one, points per game, they have 128.5 points, which I think is crazy. D'Angelo <laughs> Russell has been a revelation at point guard and, and, sh- and combo guard, really, but Coach Atkins has really unleashed him onto... <laughs> the NBA, in a way that I wish he had done with the Lakers. I wish he had been given the freedom to do. He was rather shoehorned in a role, I felt, personally. And his first three games, he comes out with 30 points, which tied Nate Archibald's franchise record for most points in a Nets debut, Mm -hmm. along with three rounds, five assists. Then he closes out just recently with his win over the Hawks, where he had 17 points, 10, 10 assists, and no, 16 points, 10 assists, and 7 rebounds. And I just like the way he controls the floor. He's looking for people. He's not being selfish. He can clearly score. And just having him lead this run-and-gun, three-point shooting offense, I-, I think that's the role he's meant to have been in. I think he's finally playing up to the potential that we all saw. And yes, it's still early, but I don't see any signs of him slowing down. But it's not just him. Damari Carroll has been making solid play. Alan Crabb has been starting in some games, coming off the bench, and others been playing well. They've turned Timothy Moskov into a serviceable <laughs> stretch big, which is just crazy. I mean, and looking at this roster and, and and seeing parts that you would think wouldn't work, but under this free-flowing offense are, I'm, I'm just really, really looking at them as, as a team I'm, I'm impressed with for my last team here.
1: Yeah, I've always been impressed and kind of enamored with the Nets because I think they're extremely well coached by Kenny Atkinson. Uh, They're kind of like the poor man's Houston Rockets. I mean, they take a lot of three-pointers, but no one really talks about them, obviously, because they're not a really good team. But they are kind of having this kind of implementation of this three-pointers free-flowing offense, as you said, which makes it exciting. Mozgov's doing serviceable, you know, play on the inside. Damari Carroll looks a lot better. I think he's just a lot more, he's a lot healthier this season than he was in previous years with Toronto. As you mentioned, Russell seems unlocked. It's a really shame that, it's a really big shame that they lost Jeremy Lin because I think with Lin they would have been even, you know, a lot more fun to watch as well. And also, you know, a couple of wins better. But they've got even their rookie Jared Allen today, I think, came into the game and had like four blocks in six minutes. And, I mean, he is a highlight reel on the defensive end. Um, Allen Crabb hitting threes. They got another... Bunch of you know interesting players, Karis Lavert. I mean, we could name them forever. Um, Yeah, just extremely well coached. They run a a system that's fun to watch. Their defense hasn't been good, but their offense has. Um, And you know they're two and one. They're beating up teams that they should be beating. Um, And we'll see if they can kind of keep it up. And I think they're going to be better than the Knicks, but that's a whole other story. But I think they'll just because of how how well coached they are. I think that they will be better than the Knicks, even with the Lin injury. Um, So yeah, let's move on to disappointing teams. There's obviously one pretty clear disappointing team the first week of the season, and that team is the (laughs) Phoenix Suns. I mean, I don't want to talk too much about them because they are going to be my something foul segment. That's that's a spoiler, but they will be. I'm sorry. They are clearly (laughs) something foul. Um, But they are just... I mean, let me just throw some stats at you now. I mean, maybe I'll shorten my something foul segment because I have to talk about these numbers. I'm going to list all of these... Um, How the I'm gonna list how the Suns rank in all these categories? Uh Dead last in field goal percentage. Dead last in assists per game. Dead last in effective field goal percentage, which also includes free throws and threes. Um, That's how the percentage is calculated. Dead last in points per game allowed. Dead last in defensive rating. Dead last in field goal percentage allowed. Dead last in three point percentage allowed. Dead last in effective field goal percentage allowed dead last in margin of victory at minus 30.2 points per game they are the dead last in almost every conceivable category of statistical analysis in the nba they were down by 58 at one point in their home opener to a blazers team without cj McCollum. they were down by i think they ended up losing by over 40 to the clippers uh, last night um and then they lost comfortably to i think they they were in it to the end with the Lakers, but they were you know down for most of the game. Um, this team is quite frankly, I'm going to put it bluntly. This team is an embarrassment. Um, their effort has been just a joke. There was that uh, clip of um, was it Lonzo Ball running up a, a pick and roll, and and Chandler comes out to the above the three point line and just doesn't move booker doesn't move from his man um Dragan bender makes a lazy trying to block attempt it was just one of the most pathetic uh, effort plays i've ever seen um in my 15 years of watching basketball um so i just wanted to start, just mention the suns i'm going to talk about them a little bit more in something foul so you can either you know i don't want to make this podcast too negative talking about the suns all the time so you can kind of move oh, on yeah. to your other most disappointing team of the week
0: all right well Mine, and and this is coming off of a a really good game today, but mine is Oklahoma City Thunder. I, I know that they're just bringing in Carmelo Anthony. They're just bringing in Paul George, trying to make that work. And Russell Westbrook has been deferring to them. But their offense has been just so stagnant to look at. It's a lot of your turn, my turn, a lot of missed, long, contested jumpers. And I was hoping that Coach Donovan would have even some simple schemes to get the ball moving from side to side get some off-ball cuts like Robertson does and, and, and get some easy baskets that way. And that really hasn't been the case so far. And defensively, it, it, where has the defense been? That That's the question. They blew out the Knicks 105-84, but I think that was more of a testament to how bad the Knicks are <laughs> yeah. and how good the Thunder are. I mean, you could probably bring the Phoenix Suns against the Knicks. Actually, that will be an interesting game, come to think of it. but. <laughs> I, that's more of a testament to the Knicks just being a horrible team. But then you come and face the Jazz, and the Jazz locked them up. There was there was nothing going on. I think at halftime, the Thunder only had four assists, which I thought wow. was crazy for an NBA team period. Just four assists by everyone. Wow. And that's a mix of lack of ball movement. That's a mix of a lot of missed shots. But there's even there were even plays where I would see, even today, there was Paul George. He had a break where... He was heading toward the rim on the right side. Russell Westbrook wide open running alongside him. Instead of just dumping the ball to him, he went to challenge the defender. Just simple plays like that on the offensive end that you need the Thunder to do to get people involved, to make them a more versatile threat. Because right now, if they face the Warriors or the Rockets, they're just going to get annihilated. Just miss shots and then the other team scores and they run it down miss again. And on the defensive end, they really need to individually buckle down. It's starting to Paul George, he's been playing pretty well but off of certain screens you'll see him stop. You'll see Russell Westbrook lose focus on off-ball motion or off the point of attack. And then Carmelo will body them up if he's being posted up but sometimes he just looks away, looks away and then he gets burned. And so I'm hoping that this game where they were trailing the Timberwolves for most of the game until the fourth quarter and that was only helped because the Timberwolves had eight turnovers. I'm hoping that this will be a wake up for the Thunder. They play the Pacers. They get a rematch against the Timberwolves on Friday. Hopefully, they'll start to snap, you know, get some practice in and really start to focus on jelling as a team. Because right now, it's only one and two start, but it's not a good start you want to have for what you look at yourself as a definite title contender.
1: Yeah, and that, that's the thing with the Thunder. They need ample time to kind of get into a flow offensively. I think I think that we won't see the best of the Thunder until maybe like the second or third month of the season. And that's fine for them because they're more of a playoff team where it's more important in April and May. Um, but it is somewhat disappointing. Then again, I mean, it was nice for them to come back today against the Tim Wolves, and they would have won the game if it wasn't for Andrew Wiggins banking in a three <laughs> from almost half court. Um, so True. They, if you look at it that way, they could be almost two and one. But there are, as you mentioned, some some weaknesses. They have to show up the offensive kind of stagnation um, and then kind of the level of play and level of effort and intensity on defense has to pick up too. But I think that will, as the season progresses, they get more practice time. They get a couple wins under their belt, beating up on the back teams and you know the the Utah Jazz are a tough team to play when you're still figuring out your offense and the Timberwolves again we most people think are going to be a a very good team as well so they haven't had the easiest schedule so once they get a couple of games against the the bad opponents they can get practice time I think we'll see a better Thunder team but I do agree that there are some glaring weaknesses that have to be shored up um, for them moving forward Uh, I just want to mention my second uh, and second and final, really disappointing team. That's the Mavericks. They're, they're 0-3, and they're headed toward another huge, um, potentially huge, rough start. Remember last year, they got off to, a, a, I think, like a 3-15 and start or something. Something really terrible with Dirk missing all that time and Barea out for a while. Uh, injuries are playing well again. Dennis Smith Jr. has missed a game. Seth Curry is still out indefinitely. Um, you know, Dirk can't play that much anymore. nolan's noel is sometimes coming off the bench, sometimes starting. Um it's just, I don't want to mention them too much because they have had a lot of injuries, but again, I'm just mentioning them because they are on verge of, I think they played the Warriors tomorrow, which is almost a guaranteed loss. Um, so that, you know, I just don't, it's not that I don't want to see the Mavericks get off to a bad start, but it's kind of disappointing to see them again getting off, you know, falling into a big hole. Not that they were going to make the playoffs or so really were going to be competitive for the playoffs, but in the end, you don't really want to see them get off to another bad start mainly because of injuries. So I think it's just disappointing that they're struggling once again at the beginning of the season. Did you have another disappointing team, or do you want to move on to the half-court heave segment?
0: Um, I'm ready for the half-court heave. I had the Chicago Bulls, but I mean, we we already know at length what's their issue, and I think I put them there mostly for the interview with Bobby Portis, where he basically said, "Hey, you know, I've been trying to reach out to Nikola Mirotic, and you know, we'll we'll get past it. We'll work. We'll work. We'll work through it, as if he had spilled coffee on him or something, and not like broke his face. So (laughs) that was my one issue. I put them there just off that statement alone. But we already know what's their issue, and we know this is going to be them for the season. So I'm right along with you to move to the half-court heave.
1: All right. We will now move on to the half-court heave in just a moment. 10, 9,
0: 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And now, the half-court heave.
1: Okay, the half-court heave segment, for those who have not listened to our new style of show before previously, is a, a really quick, short and sweet uh, prediction segment, just kind of a nice fun one between our more in-depth analysis segments. So each uh, episode, we'll uh, both Corbin and I will make a half-court heave, or basically a prediction. It could be short-term, it could be long-term, it could be crazy, it could be really specific, um, really general, stuff like that. Um, I just have to make a disclaimer that my original prediction uh, when I made my notes for tonight's podcast was that uh, my prediction was going to be that Earl Watson was going to be fired by the 20 game mark but no he happened to be fired today Um, like literally an hour or two after I made the prediction on my uh, notes for the podcast. Earl Watson has been fired um, in case you missed it um, (laughs) after just three games so I I said my prediction was going to be 20 games he lasted three so I was pretty short on that but in the way I guess I was kind of right. Um, Uh Nice. But my new prediction, my new prediction is that Giannis. Going back to Giannis again because he is one of, if not the biggest story of the league right now. I my prediction, my half court heat for this week is that Giannis will lead the league in scoring this year. Um, my reasons are is that there really aren't that many other good scores on the Bucks, especially with Jabari Parker out. You got like, Chris Middleton gets you like 15 through 17 points per game. Um, Greg Monroe can get you 10 to 12. You know, Brogdon can contribute here or there. Uh, Tony Snell is just gonna hit a couple of shots. You know, there really aren't great go-to scores on the Bucks, which means Giannis will have a lot of opportunities. I and mean, although Giannis doesn't have much of a shot, he does attack the rim relentlessly. I mean... He just he'll grab the ball at the three point line and he'll you just know he's going to the rim and you really can't stop him you either foul him or let him score that's basically how it is now um, between that getting gets to the free throw line a lot he gets crazy buckets in transition he can score in transition in ways that almost no one else in the league can um, and then other you know past top scorers like Westbrook Harden um, have new star teammates that will probably hurt them especially Westbrook Harden maybe with Paul Al could see his scoring average go up a little bit more we know LeBron will be on cruise control and as we mentioned before Kawhi is not 100% and probably won't be 100% for maybe another month or so um and always you know his minutes are always limited while Giannis I think could be playing upwards of 37 to 38 minutes a night um this season while Kawhi usually plays around 32 to 33 so that will hurt him there so for those reasons my half court heave of the week will be that Giannis will lead the league in scoring this season Corbin what is your half court heave this week
0: all right, so my half-court heave is that by the All-Star break, heads will roll in New Orleans. I think Dell Dems and, and, to a lesser extent, Alvin Gentry have just been the, the headliner for just horrible front office management in regards to contract signings, and just the way the team is built. And I think that come All-Star break, with a disappointing record, Tom Benson and the ownership is going to look down and go, okay, you know, we have to make a change just for the sake of making a change. And it's, it's really sad. I think it's mostly on Dell Demp's um, feet that this whole issue falls. And I think it really came to a head or really was brought out with the signing of Jameer Nelson. And I say this because Jameer Nelson is a pretty good move for New Orleans. He, he brings shooting. He's a stable vet. He's been in the league. He knows how to run an offense. All these good qualities he brings to the table. But he came at the expense of Jordan Crawford. And Jordan Crawford is not a great basketball player by any means. But he was the closest thing to a scoring threat at the wing for the Pelicans. And he was coming off of, if I remember, a game against the Warriors where he went 5 for 10 from the field, 3 for 3 from 3, with 13 points and 7 assists. And already through these two games, not counting whatever's happening right now against the Lakers, but he's already outscored and out Drew Holiday. And I, I was just like, whoa. When it happened, I remember going, I thought you were trying to get more shooting, not less shooting for mm-hmm. New Orleans. And I, what made that even worse is that if Del Demp hadn't made those horrible signings for Omer Ashik and Alexia Jensa, they would never have to let Crawford go. And I remember reading a The Pelicans cap space, but also roster spots. And that led me to thinking, why not let go to Tony Allen? He's a help on the defensive end. But at this point, you would think that the Pelicans would value offense and spacing around Davis and Cousins than they would defense. So that that's my half-court heap. I think that it's going to be a pretty rough first half of the season for New Orleans. They're going to beat teams like the Lakers, teams like the Suns, teams like the Knicks, where they just have more talent with their two dominant bigs, Andrew Holiday, to just steamroll them or at least get the win. But mm-hmm. against even adequate teams, the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Warriors, they'll they will put up a fight and they'll go down and we'll know why. It's because of the lack of perimeter threats or even the lack of a jump shot outside of your two bigs. If they're your best shooters, that's an issue. And I think ultimately Del Demps or Alvin Gentry, maybe both will have to pay for that.
1: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. I think that it's very, very likely that if if not by the all star break by the end of the season uh, maybe they're yeah. around five hundred at the all star break and they say you know what let's just, let's just give Gentry and, and Demp's two and a half three more months to see if they can make True. the playoffs and and I think it's very likely that by this time next year they have an, a new coach and new GM um, and I have to agree with you it's it's mainly because of of the bad contracts they've given out to useless centers which are now handicapping them in terms of trying to get good capable wings and perimeter play around their two big men um but we'll have to see how they can kind of make it work and and see if they can kind of rebound from a what looks like a one and two start because they are up by 20 over the lakers right now so (laughs) somewhat slow start but uh all right so we will now move into our three point segment in just a moment
0: Now, here are the three points. All right,
1: so for those of you, again, who haven't listened to our new style or structure of the show, the three point segment is um, can be random and it's changed every week. It's basically Corbin and I will both have three random points about any team, story, player, trend, etc., around the league. And we'll spend a couple of minutes on, on, on the three points for each person. So I'm going to start off with my first of my three points, and then Corbin, we can go to your first and we can do it one, 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 and, and kind of go vice versa like that. So my first. Okay. My first of my three points um is that the new timeout rules and reductions have had a great effect on the games. Um people who have been watching games so far maybe on League Pass or even on national TV, you'll have you had to have noticed that there's just so much more flow to the games, they're going quicker, there aren't these excessive timeouts, especially down the final minutes of the games. I mean, last year, I mean, now that we have these new timeout rules and reductions, it kind of points out glaringly how annoying last year it would be to watch a close game down the stretch. I mean, you'd have one play timeout, one play timeout, Uh, a replay timeout, replay. I mean, so many timeouts. Now there's less timeouts during the the middle of the quarters, you know, first and and third quarters, less timeouts. And then you get to the end of the game and there's still less timeouts. It just makes it more enjoyable. You can easily pop on a random game, you know, involving teams you don't really care about and not be kind of bored or annoyed by how many timeouts or stoppages there are. So I think that I have to give kudos to the league office for getting these new timeout um, reductions in place for this season. I think they've had a great effect on the flow um, and enjoyment factor of these games. So that's the, my first point of the week. Uh, Corbin, we can go to your first point
0: now. Alright, my first point is the, Magic, the Orlando Magic becoming a three-point shooting terror. And this mostly came from Sunday's win where the Magic hit 17 of 35 threes and tied a franchise record with eight threes in the first quarter. Well, oh, I'm sorry, I meant Saturday. I'm, I'm thinking Sunday, my mm-hmm. mistake. <laughs> and they also assisted on 16 of those 17 threes. Nikola Vucevic, they had Mario Herzogna, DJ Augustine. They were all knocking them down. And then you see them coming down, their offense is more fluid, they're looking for the shot. And they're I don't want to say they're more equipped at shooting the three, even though all of their players that were here from the year before holdovers have definitely improved their three point shooting. But right now, they're shooting forty eight point three percent from three on almost thirty attempts per game. And that is second in the league so far. And yes, there's only been three games max for most all the teams, but for Orlando to be there over a Houston Rocket or a Golden State Warrior or even even a lesser known team like the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> one of those probably mm-hmm. up there but to be in that top 3 is pretty surprising coming from a team that ranked 29th out of 30th last year and they only shot 32% on 26 attempts per game so this is just something i've seen they're obviously making the three pointer a weapon which is something that they could not do for the past i want to say 3 or 4 seasons and to see that coming through into fruition is pretty pretty interesting to me i'm something I'll be looking forward into the future
1: yeah, it's interesting to see how the Magic do this season. They they had a, a pretty solid roster. Kind of, They brought back most of the same guys, added a few guys like Jonathan Simmons, Maurice Spates in there like that. Um, but it's nice to see that the guys that they continue to bring back from last year improved their three. They're making it more of a focal point of their offense. They're more enjoyable to watch just overall. Um, and got to give kudos to them. They have probably the best league uh Jersey sponsored by the Disney world. It makes so much sense. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's interesting to see how the magic do and and keep up with their three point shooting uh, throughout the season. And maybe they can kind of use this newfound emphasis on the three to kind of have their best season in the past couple of years, get past, you know, that 35 win mark and, you know, be somewhat competitive in the lower, you know, playoff seeds, you know, eight through 10 or uh, of the Eastern conference this season. Very interested to see how the magic do uh, under Frank Vogel in in his second year um, at the helm. My second point is not really a point, but it's just kind of a, a curiosity of mine. It's just I'm just fascinated to see how the Celtics will do this season without Gordon Hayward. Obviously, everyone knows by now that Gordon Hayward had that really, really gruesome injury just six minutes into the first game of the NBA season, uh, Celtics at Cavs. I think Gordon Hayward was and is their best player when healthy. But now Kyrie Irving has you know his own team, which he wanted. It's really Kyrie Irving's team. But this isn't like the Kyrie Irving teams that he had his first three years in the league in Cleveland when his maybe his best supporting mate was Deion Waiters. Um, they still got Al Horford. They still have a great coach in Brad Stevens. They still have solid role players like Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Marcus Morris, Jason Tatum, etc. So they still got solid, especially defensive pieces around Kyrie, but also good, capable offensive guys and one of the best coaches in the league the question about the Celtics is does this team still finish in the top 4 because obviously you know Cleveland will be there you know Washington will be there i think Toronto will certainly be in the top 4 now i think they're a really good regular season team that again like you mentioned with the magic the raptors are one of the interesting teams that are placing a lot more emphasis on the three pointer and doing it well so far um you have to get you know so you think that those three teams are definitely there then you got a team like the bucks we've talked about we think giannis might be an mvp and so he can lead them to a top 4 finish and with the Celtics, they're 1-2 right now. They did have a nice win against the Sixers, but again, the Sixers look like a team that's struggling. Um, they lost to those Bucks at home uh, the second night of a back-to-back after that Cleveland loss when Hayward got injured. So I'm just fascinated to see how the Celtics do this season without Hayward, how Kyrie leads this team that still has competent pieces around him and a great coach. Can he get this team to a top-four finish, or will they falter and maybe be in the fifth or sixth seed, in which case they wouldn't have home court advantage and we would be vulnerable to being... Not even up. I wouldn't say upset because they wouldn't be favored, but a disappointing end to their season. So my second point is just like a curiosity or fascination with how the Celtics will do this season without Hayward. And um, what's your second point of the week?
0: So my offense and is it already a major concern so early in the season? Looking at them right now, they're middle of the pack offensively, defensively. They're just a middle of the pack team statistically. But looking closer at their roster, especially a shooting guard. I'm definitely seeing an issue early. Dwayne Wade's only averaging 5.7 points on 28% shooting. He's shooting a higher percentage from three, 33%, than he is from the field, which Mm -hmm. is crazy, especially for a non-shooter like Dwayne Wade, with two two rebounds a game, 3.3 assists, and 23 minutes per game. And he has scored in single digits all three games this season, which is something he did only six times in his 60 games with the Chicago Bulls last season. And his backup, J.R. Smith, is faring even worse He's averaging a mere 6.3 points on 33% shooting and 15% from three. And for me, looking at those two, obviously when Coach Lou announced that he was going to put Wade in the starting lineup, take Thompson out and put at center, it was like one step forward, two steps back because you want to have a more open floor for LeBron James. That's where he flourishes in the open court with shooters around him. But then you have Derrick Rose at point guard and then you have a non-shooter again in Dwayne Wade that kind of stifles it. And he's also had a, problem with creating his own offense because you already have Rose who needs the ball in his hands LeBron who needs the ball in his hands Kevin Love needs touches Dwayne Wade obviously also needs touches he came out with the story today this morning I was reading where he basically said he's still trying to find his role on the team and that he's usually used to being the first or second option and that it, it's been a struggle for him and that's that's alarms for me Jared Smith already smarting from being demoted even though he said he's adjusted to it obviously Getting wide open looks, getting easy passes from LeBron are gone now, where he's mostly having to create his own shot for dribble. And he's usually good with that, but with a lack of floor spacing, I think is more of a problem for him. He's had to take shots at least three or four I've seen where he's been in the corner for most of the shot clock, and they toss it to him, and he has to throw up a shot at the last minute. and And that obviously has done horrible damage to his percentage, but just his flow. And then that brings my last point, lack of ball movement, because Derek Rose only missed—he missed last night's game against Orlando due to his ankle injury that he sustained against Milwaukee, yet in the two games he's played, he's only averaged 1.5 assists per game. And yes, Rose is not a great passer, but he is a point guard. And so to only average 1.5 assists is, is kind of mind-boggling to me. Yeah. And even worse, he ranks fourth on the team in that. So just seeing a lot of stagnation, a lot of holding the ball before going one-on-one— and either taking a long jumper or a post-up by Love, it's, it's interesting to me. I see a lot of pressure already on LeBron. He's already leading the team in points, assists, shots made, and attempted, and he's second on the team next to Love in rebounds. And this is all coming off of the ankle injury he sustained. So I'm definitely worried about the Cavs, but it is early in the season. We'll see if they can gel and get together moving forward.
1: Yeah, I think the Cavs are in a similar boat to OKC, where they still have to integrate a couple of pieces like Dwayne Wade. I just want to point out that in so far in the three games, Dwayne Wade has a 1. 6 PER, uh, oh. 1.6 PER, not 16, 1.6. And just for reference, the league average is 15, so he's 1.6. And uh, his box plus minus, um, which again, it's very early, it's only three games, it's negative 5.9, which is horrible. Um right. So, just want to point that out there, but yes, it is concerning about the Cavs offense, but again, I think that, and I don't, I don't, I think that they won't fit as well like OKC will once both teams get ample time to fill in the pieces. I think that OKC's pieces just fit better than putting Wade and Rose in, um, on, on the Cavs, um, but I think that with more time, you know, maybe a hard sit-down conversation with Wade and LeBron and, and Tyron Lue, they can figure out the best role for Wade. It's still, I still think it's definitely off the bench, um, but we'll have to see about that, but I think that uh, interesting that the Cavs are still kind of figuring things out. Again, it, it is early, but uh, and then my final point of my three points is about going back again to the Bucks and Giannis. <laughs> um, <as laughs> my point is that if the Bucks can win forty-five or more games and Giannis puts up similar, kind of if not better numbers in last year, which we obviously think he'll put up better numbers than last year, if his play in the first three games is any indication then I think he should be MVP. We talked about this before. I don't want to talk about it too much again, but we know LeBron's going to be on cruise control. Uh, He's not going to go hard for the MVP. He hasn't gone hard for the MVP in the past, what, three to four seasons since he went back to Cleveland, basically. We've got Kawhi injury um, and just the normal resting that Popovich will give him. Could actually limit Kawhi to about 65 games, plus he only plays around 32 to 33 minutes a game. Again, the Spurs know what it's all about. It's all about the playoffs, which is why they seem to always beat other teams. Westbrook has too many stars around him, and as I mentioned before, and I want to talk about it a little bit more, I think James Harden could be a dark horse for mVP this year i uh, I think that there is reason to concern to be concerned about chris Paul um, it's only a knee bruise, but again, the rockets are so secretive with their kind of injury you know descriptions that they first ruled him out. Uh, 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 at the Kings game the night after the Golden State Warriors game and they said he's day-to-day and they continue to say he's day-to-day and then all of a sudden Friday drops that he could be missing a month and so you know they're going to be careful with him obviously but there's a good chance that just being careful with him and resting him down the end of the season Paul could miss over 20 or so games which then puts Enough that gives Harden enough opportunity if the, if he can continue to lead the Rockets to a 57 or 58 win season with Paul missing 20 plus games, it kind of feels like that Dwight Howard season in 2014-15 when the Rockets won 56 games but Dwight missed half the season in the regular season um, and Harden finished second there, but that was to Steph Curry when that he had a breakout season and the Warriors kind of broke out, but. This year, Harden, I think, could be a, a dark horse for MVP. But my main point is that if the Bucks can win more than 45 games and Giannis puts up you know 30 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 steals, over 50, 50% shooting, then I think Giannis should be the MVP this season. So that's my third and final point uh, of this week's three points. Why don't you round it up with your uh, third point of the week?
0: All right. I definitely want to say I agree with you on the Harden point. I he's been long overdue for that MVP, and who knows? With the stuff that's going on on the team right now, he could get it. That is something to think about. But my last point is just reflecting on this Wolves-Thunder game. I, I think it goes down as one of the classic games of the season, one of the games that we will be seeing on NBA TV at the end of the year where they put together the <laughs> 10 best games. <laughs> we watch that on the off season, those long August nights. But I just think it was a really good game all the way through. The Wolves maintained the lead throughout the game. The Thunder came with just a great comeback to close it late. And then Westbrook hits a clutch shot. Town answers with that. Mello hits another one. And finally, Wiggins comes through to end the game. And it was just a very enjoyable game to watch. The The defense on the Thunder side was was lacking. The Wolves hit 50% of their shots, 40% of their threes. But their eight turnovers in the final frame combined with the Thunder outscoring them 37-20 in, in that quarter made it very close. And – it was also interesting because this is the third win in 18 tries for the Timberwolves in Oklahoma City since they've been head-to-head matching up. And this game reminded me of another classic game that you had a couple of years ago in 2012 in a 149-140 Thunder win where Westbrook had 45 points, Kevin Durant had 40, while Kevin Love had 51, and J.J. Bray came off the bench for a 25-point, 10-rebound, 14-assist, triple-double. Just a really good game that you're like, wow, this, this is the NBA. I'm so glad it's back. And this game right here, it took my final point. I'm I'm just glad the NBA is back. Games like this where you can put on league pass and just go, wow, what a good basketball game. This is what the NBA is all about. I'm just happy to be a fan of it.
1: Yeah, watching this game, especially down the stretch, was kind of that realization moment where I was like, "Wow, the NBA is back." We've got these random league pass alerts where you got we want to tune in on a Sunday afternoon <laughs> for a great game between two really competitive and good Western Conference playoff teams. So I have to agree with you. I think it's one of the best games of the year, and hopefully, we get more of those throughout the coming weeks, months, and and, and season overall. So that those are our three points for this week. Again, we'll change; they'll change every week depending on what we see and what happens in the league. And now, in just a moment, we will move on to our fifth segment.
0: Now, it's time for Something Foul.
1: Alright, so the Something Foul segment is basically worst of the week. So, it's a player, a GM, maybe an owner, maybe just a team overall, maybe even fans. It could be anything associated with the league that we think is deeming, we deem the worst of the week. So, my Something Foul, I was originally going to go with injuries, but it's a close one out because... After I realized how bad the Suns have been, again, we're going back to the Suns, but I already mentioned all those terrible, uh, how they rank in all those categories, basically dead last in 10 or so statistical categories. They're 0-3. Th- they have the worst point differential at minus 92 through three games in league history. They were down, as I mentioned, at fifty down by 58 at one point to the CJ McCollum-less Sun, uh, Blazers on opening night in Phoenix in their home opener. Their effort has been terrible. I mentioned that play about basically where Chandler and Booker and Bledsoe basically all gave up. Uh, Earl Watson has already been fired. Um, we got Bledsoe today tweeting out, I don't want to be here. Uh, so is that a trade request? We don't know. Um, ultimately, I think my, the Suns, and I'm, You know, this is a quick segment for me because I've already talked about the, the Suns too many times on this show and I don't want to kind of depress people. Um, but basically my kind of conclusion is that I think the Suns should trade Bledsoe and the other veterans like Jared Dudley and Tyson Chandler. I think at this point, if you're not going to have effort from those players and your young players, you might as well go all in on the youth movement, lose as many games as you are going to anyways, and give the veterans like Chandler, Dudley, and Bledsoe a chance to win. So because of their terrible effort, because of Watson being fired already, because of all the terrible statistics, and because we've already got some... Looks like what are going to be some increasingly rampant trade rumors for guys like Bledsoe and Dudley and Chandler. The Phoenix Suns are the worst of the week, aka something foul for me. So, Corbin, what's your uh, something foul
0: or worst of the week? I'm actually going to pick the ball up on now. I'm actually going to take injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I was looking at all of them, and and there are 66 injuries in the NBA right now. Just various players, ailments. There's one illness, one rest. I I left those out, otherwise, it would be 68. But Just in general, it's Gordon Haywood's was probably the headliner of the worst and most brutal to start with, but it's injuries have have spared no one. Good teams have been affected. I mean, it's Kawhi Leonard still out, Isaiah Thomas until January, Nick Batum, his elbow injury, Markeith Morris with the hernia surgery, Rodney Hood just got injured against Minnesota, but then the bad teams as well. Jeremy Lin, his knee injury out for the season, Markel Fultz's shoulder injury. We're not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's not only affected his free throw form, but he isn't even attempting a three-pointer. The Bulls debacle where (laughs) Nikola Miritich is out, and because of that, Bobby Portis is also out by extension, and Seth Curry is out also with the stress reaction for the Dallas Mavericks. And that's really affected. I've taken two teams. I've actually read this article from Deadspin earlier this afternoon where two teams have been affected specifically are the Boston Celtics and the Houston Rockets. And the Boston Celtics are obviously more affected because Kyrie Irving, we're just saying, for example, it was listed in an article, Kyrie Irving's usage in Boston shot from 21.5 in opening night, which reflected a pretty balanced distribution of his shots, to 31 against Milwaukee, and then 26.9 last night against Philadelphia, as the Celtics are trying to obviously rework their rotation to, to, to make up for the lapse of Hayward. And so right now, after three games. And that's that's just one example of one team already trying to cope with these injuries. But Houston as well. I mean, you obviously saw the Rockets were trying to pick up a point guard to kind of shore up some of the gap left by Paul to kind of lessen some pressure off of James Harden. And they weren't able to get Jameer Nelson. And who knows where they're going right now with the search. But it's a little different in Houston's case because James Harden has already handled such a large share of Houston's offense from last season. So this isn't exactly something unknown to him. He can definitely take the load for a while. It's just a matter of lessening it so he doesn't burn out later in the season. And, and this is just two teams, but injuries have run amok. People have been saying that, oh, it, it's because of the season starting earlier. I, I don't think that at all. I think no pun intended, it's just a bad break for NBA teams right now. And you know hopefully people start getting healed up and we'll start seeing more of a healthier campaign moving forward and maybe all the injuries for the season are happening right now and not just a steady flow of them throughout the year. But that that's my last something foul. It, it's been horrible. I, please, just I just want people to stop getting hurt. Injuries go away.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. I have to agree with you. There's no way that if the season started at its original date. Like, the Gordon Hayward injury is a freak injury. It would happen anyways. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Lin landing awkwardly on his knee or MCL or ACL or meniscus, that happens regardless of time of year. Um, Even the other one just happened because that's just how it happens in sports. You get injured but I have to agree with you. I hope that these are the injuries that we get for the year and there just no more after that because we want to see these teams at full strength. We want to see the contender team. We want to see Paul and Harden together on the court together. We don't want to see Harden uh we don't want to see Paul out and basically having Harden run the show and it's like the 2000 it was it's like last year's Rockets. We want to see this year's Rockets and see if they can actually compete against the Warriors. Um and we want to see the Celtics at full strength. So I'm hoping for no more injuries, of course we'll probably get a couple more down the road here, but hopefully nothing too significant. So all right, so that'll do for our both of our three points for the week again they'll change week to week depending on what happens in the uh the association um and now in just a moment we will move to our sixth and final segment the and one Okay, so the and one is our final segment of the week, and we like to conclude by giving you something to look forward to in the next week or so. Um, usually it's kind of on a week-to-week basis because we will be doing a podcast episode every week, um, so it's kind of just a preview of what to look out for in the coming week or so. So my and one is about the Timberwolves. It's it's really just kind of paying attention to how the Timberwolves start the season and how they play in the clutch. So the Timberwolves had a big win at Oklahoma City tonight. I know the Thunder won a second item of back-to-back, but... You know, this, this was a game that the Wolves would have lost last year and also they also held on in crunch time in their home opener against the Jazz a couple of days ago so they rebounded from that tough loss on opening night to the Spurs uh, in San Antonio they came back they held on against the Jazz which are a good it's a good team and then they beat Oklahoma City in Oklahoma City on a buzzer beater from Andrew Wiggins who looked really good down the stretch so Those are two big wins that I think that the Wolves would have lost last year. And obviously, they're trying to be a completely different team, make a huge jump in the West. So you have to watch out how they're going to start the season. So Minnesota's next four games, home against the Pacers at Detroit, home against the Thunder in that rematch at Miami. You need to have a strong start and be able to close those games. They almost choked against the Jazz. They were able to close it. They almost choked again against OKC, but they were able to close it. I think a good, solid playoff team in the West – would go three and one in that four game stretch, or at least two and two. Um, the big, the big deal this season that the West could be so tough that these playoff seeds, you know, the difference between the fifth and sixth seed might only be like two wins. The difference between the fifth and fourth seed might only be two wins. So the Wolves can't afford to fall behind early in the season. They can't mess up. They cannot blow leads in the fourth quarter like they did last season. They have to hold on to these leads. They have to get these big wins like they did against the Jazz and the the Thunder this past week. So. So my and one of the week, something to look forward to is just how the Timberwolves start this season and how they play in the clutch over the next week or so to see if they can build some momentum early on in this season. Corbin, you can wrap us up by giving us your and one uh, segment of the week.
0: All right. So my and one of the week is just looking and seeing how the Phoenix Suns bounce back from this horrible start to the season and the loss of their coach. It was announced that Jay Triano will take over as interim coach for Phoenix and that Management will meet with the coaching staff and talk to them. And Jay Toronto has had coaching experience. He was a head coach of the Toronto Raptors for three seasons. And he began that when he took over as the team's interim coach then in 2008, following the firing of Sam Mitchell. And he went 25 and 40 in the 2008 to the 9 season, and then 40 and 42 in the 2009 to the 10 season. And he was let go after the Raptors went 22 and 60 in 2010 to 2011. So I'm not saying at all he's a great coach, but He has almost double the experience that Earl Watson had coaching. He has 229 games. Watson has 118 games. And it will be interesting to see if the Suns respond to this shakeup and whether it is more of the lack of coaching competency that Watson had at the helm, or is it something deeper with the culture of the Suns? They have a winnable game coming up against the Kings, and then they have one against the Jazz, which is going to be tough. Another one against the Trailblazers is Saturday um, at Portland, which is also going to be tough. So they can probably get this Sacramento win, hopefully. It's a gettable game for them. I don't think anyone would be up in arms if they lost to the Jazz or Trailblazers. But how do how does Phoenix respond from this? How do they as a team rally together? Obviously Eric Bledsoe wants out. So who will emerge as the leader for this Phoenix team and really get them together and, and just see what happens here? It, it's, it's interesting and something that I, I, I'm – one am I very anticipated to see.
1: So yeah, so there you have it. Our end ones, pay attention to the Timberwolves and they, how they start their season and go on this four-game stretch and then pay attention to how the Suns rebound from the loss of their coach and just the embarrassing uh, three-game start to their season. And uh, Well, that'll do it for our first or somewhat first new episode with this new structure and of course our new co-host with Corbin. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening. Of course, you can follow us, uh, you can follow me on Twitter um, at Eric Spiros NBA. You can follow corbin on twitter at corbin ford M-E-A. and of course you can follow at the 94 feet report website which we also you'll get the information for this podcast at the 94 feet report and of course be sure to check out 94 feetreport.com. you'll find corbin's writing um of course i edit uh, and created the site so i'm really happy about the the kind of content we've had in the past week we have a ton of writers putting out great content on a daily basis so make sure to check us out and uh corbin you have anything else to add at the end
0: I just want to say thank you again. It's been it's been great, and I look forward to us talking again next week.
1: All right, so yeah, there you go. Corbin kind of gave it away. We're going to be coming out with episodes um, every Monday morning. So, we'll, of course, next, so this will be out tomorrow morning, and then we'll have uh, next Monday. So be on the lookout for that. Follow us on Twitter in the meantime. Check out 94footreport.com. And, of course, enjoy your week of watching the NBA. Take care, guys